Hi, I'm Natalie Wires, along with Jason Nias from Digital River, an e-commerce company dedicated to helping brands go global and grow their revenue. But this isn't about us. This is Commerce Connect, a podcast about people who are creating some of the best e-commerce experiences of our times. Listen on to hear from e-commerce visionaries as they look back on where they started, lessons they've learned that have gotten them where they are today, and what they believe is the future of online shopping. Hi, this is Natalie Wires, and our guest today is Jason Chung, an advisory board member from the Merchant Risk Council, an expert in fraud mitigation with nearly 20 years experience, and I'm happy to say a member of the fraud team here at Digital River. Welcome, Jason. Hey, Natalie. It's good to be here. To start, uh, I'd love for you to just tell us a bit more about your background, as well as what the Merchant Risk Council does. Uh, So I've been in the, I'll say, risk mitigation field for about past 20 years, working everything from uh, full identity theft, where people are actually stealing uh, your data and creating fraudulent accounts, all the way to analyzing enterprise risk for companies, trying to figure out where their gap analysis is, and uh, doing everything from uh, warehouse security to data integrity at call centers and call center processes, and then, of course, uh, payments and e-commerce fraud. So it's it's been quite a ride over the past 20 years, and I've enjoyed, the, enjoyed it the whole time. Uh, over at Merchant Risk Council, I am on the advisory board. Um, they are an organization that specializes and came about uh, for risk-minded people or risk-minded merchants in e-commerce uh, predominantly because they didn't really have a place to go to share ideas and share uh, some of the struggles that they were going through. They had no one to talk to. and. You know, of course, if you don't know who you're talking to, sometimes you start to think you're the crazy person in the room. Um, So um, what they really tried to strive towards was building a place for people to come together and create a network and start to actually bounce ideas back and forth between each other. So things I've done with people in my network is gone as far as been on the phone in the evening because seems like we're all a bunch of nerds and been in the same fraud tools and seeing who can create the best fraud rules and the best fraud profiles. That's how, how deep and weird we get. But along with that, uh, Merchant Risk Council also is a great place for education into this particular realm because nobody really, at least not yet, really goes to school for payments education or for fraud risk mitigation. Although, you know, there are some things that are related. Uh, another thing that they do is they try to help broaden uh, your knowledge base. You know, so it's not just educational resources on how to fight fraud, but it's also about what regulations are going uh, around uh, from different card brands and issuers and uh, processors, all the way to what different product offerings, uh, different fraud platforms and tools offer. And of course, you know, we go back to sharing of ideas on message boards as well as 20 years in fraud, I imagine you've seen some pretty interesting things. <laughs> I have. I have. Want to share? Where do we start with that? Want to share one or two or, <laughs> or even just how the industry has evolved over that time? Sure. I mean, when you think about it, uh, fraud's always been there. You know, criminal entities have always been there. It's just when people start a new branch of business or a new way to make money, they don't really think that someone else is going to want to try to steal that from them, which is always the first thing that really happens, you know? So 
again, when I first started out, I got some really first level experiences on ID theft. So that was actually a really big eye opener because, you know, when people thought about and when people would discuss, you know, why would somebody want to steal my identity? Why is my information important? Who really cares? And you'll hear people even say that now, especially as broad as uh, social media is in our lives and how much of our information is just out there for free because we've just willingly given it. Uh, when you think about it, all that data can be used to open credit cards, to get car loans, to uh, get home loans, all things that can be opened up anonymously um, without you knowing it. And then when you do find out about it, you end up paying the price and having to put that off record while someone else actually uh, reaped the benefits of it and never paid the bills. So that's that's one particular area. Then I've seen everything from uh, parents impersonating children for credits. I've seen families um, take advantage of each other in general, You know, opening up accounts to try to further their lives. Uh, I've seen, uh, you know, I've also worked things like um, enterprise risk. So when I talk about that, it's really looking at how a company is trying to mitigate exposure to their customers. So everything from, say, warehouse security to uh, call center standards and data, um, data integrity. So making sure that the data is safe in your call centers and protects your customers. And then, of course, payment fraud. I always think about when I, whenever I'm talking to you all on our fraud team or folks on our security team, it's like, I picture just the superhero, you know, of like staying (laughs) one step, you have to stay one step ahead of the bad guy. And the, the bad guy is constantly, you know, changing and evolving their tactics and becoming more sophisticated. So, you know, as we think about e-commerce fraud specifically, which is what you're, you know, focused on now with digital river, um, talk a bit about, um, you know, how e-commerce brands should think about fraud and how it affects them. I love that you say superhero. It makes me <laughs> cringe. You know, um, most of us do not think of ourselves that way. And weird as it sounds, I think our industry is filled with a lot of introverts. So they'll probably actually like turn around and walk away from you and say that. You An know? introverted superhero. That's the best yeah. sign. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember going to a conference and, um, you know, talking to a friend. I'm like, no, so there's so many like-minded people here. And he's like, it's a fraud conference. <laughs> yeah, we're all introverts here. So mostly, you know, to some degree. Uh, but really what it comes down to is it's it's somebody who's trying to, who likes to solve problems. And if you really break it down to that method, uh, in my opinion, versus trying to combat some sort of supposed evil or whatnot that's out there. Um, that's really what you're trying to do. I mean, that's not minimizing the need to actually understand human behavior in any way and to understand how uh, geopolitical issues are going on in the world or what type of um, what type of issues are going on across countries in their economies. You know, that takes a big stance in what you're trying to mitigate because depending on what you're selling or what you're offering that will show you exactly who wants your product and why they want it and how much they're willing to go through what efforts they're willing to go through to try to get it so for me my previous company sold tires and if you look at some countries that were not in the best state and everything rules on tires um, a lot of 
countries were trying to get those from out of the U.S. into their realms so that way they could resell them for a much higher price because of inflation. And that was a durable good to some degree that was, real, I mean, almost, I would say well worth its weight in gold when you look at what it can do for you. So you have to look at what your, your products can do and what people want out of them to understand and understand why people want it. So uh, when you look at uh, fraud in general, things that merchants really should be aware of, and it, again, it comes down to understanding your your goods and your services is first, you always have to remember that somebody out there, no matter how minimal you think your product is, somebody out there is going to want to exploit it and take advantage of it, especially if they can get it for free. Be everything from, I mean, like I said, tires to cell phones to diapers. Some might, somebody might say, who wants to steal diapers? I've seen those stolen and I've seen them out on e-commerce. You know, I mean, you think about it, they're not cheap and people need them. So depending on your target consumers um, and your business model, payment fraud could be the initial uh, issue that you have and everything from them trying to steal your products in general and ship them around uh, the local area that you're in, trying to get them. I mean, if you really think about it, fraud groups, depending on their size, are really businesses. So the professional fraud groups that I've been targeted by operate with real websites, they hire real employees, and they use basically the merchant as the warehouse. All they do is place orders to source their uh, product, and then they get the merchant to ship and do the uh, logistics for them. That's really all it comes down to. So, But they just don't have to um, pay as much um, as the merchant actually has to to run their business, if that makes any sense at all. That's So that's interesting. I want to unpack that a little bit of, yeah, so, sure. so they're a business that is then, you know, basically getting your product, reselling it, you're, you are uh, shipping it out for them. So their costs are lower and that's how then they're making their money and getting a higher markup. Uh, that's a lot of ways. That's how they can operate. There's no one level of fraudster or fraud group. You can have everything from people who drive them down highways and break into cars and steal anything that's in the car and get lucky and get a couple of credit cards and start making purchases that way to local organizations in your area who just happen to be like maybe going, you know, mailbox theft all the way to professional organizations that create websites, actually try to go online and hire people. Uh, we, we tend to reference that as uh, fraud mules. And what they're trying to do is they actually, I mean, if you ever see any of those chats on like uh, comments for like news websites and whatnot, and it'll be something like, hey, work for home for uh, part time and make a lot of money. Well, a lot of those are these fraudsters who are trying to convince you that you can work from home from them, uh, work from home for them. And what they'll do is, you know, their usual spiel is, well, our customers are international and they want to buy from your, you know, companies in your, your country and your, you know, those companies don't usually ship internationally. So we're trying to facilitate that for them. So it sounds totally legit, but really what's happening is they're trying to gain another shipping address that hasn't been black marked or negative listed by fraud tools and isn't known to um, other merchants. And then they're going to ship product to that address 
and you're going to slap on a label and ship it off to Russia, Ukraine, Africa, wherever. And it, it, at first it sounds legit. And then as more goods tend to flow to that person's address, all of a sudden the hairs on the back of the neck starts to stand up. And all of a sudden they realize this doesn't feel quite right. And then they either stop doing the work or some of them still continue to do it or some of them report it to authorities. But it's, it's a really well-oiled machine. An actual login page where it looks like you have your salary, you have your piecework, you know, because you're getting a bonus for every item that you ship. You have a log of all the products that are coming your way, what they are, what the tracking is, and what the status is on them. And then you even have a supervisor um, on the back end who's keeping tabs to make sure that you're doing your job. And if you're not packaging things quickly, they'll start pinging you and chatting with you about, hey, what's going on with this? Because we see that it's arrived. And it's all the way down to the automation of, you don't have to fill anything out. Uh, there's a button for that package. Uh, when it arrives, you click on it. It's a pre-generated PDF with all the shipping info on it. And all you gotta do is print it out and slap it on and take it to USPS. Of course, you really have to front the payment on that, but people are willing to do that. So That does sound very sophisticated. Um, from, so, so from a mitigation perspective is, is one of the things you're looking at lots of product going to a singular address and, and what are some other things that could be a, a trigger for that? It's a fraudulent ring. Well, it depends. Uh, so the first thing you have to understand is a, what fraud groups are targeting you because that will give you an idea on what type of tactics, A, that they will usually use, and B, what they're capable of using. So for instance, if I have a local group who doesn't have that type of uh, range to grab all those shipping addresses, I know that they're going to have to rely on something local. I know that their geolocation data is going to usually be local unless they've gotten really, really intelligent and learned how to, well, everybody seems to know how to use a VPN nowadays, especially with COVID. So I think even my 13-year-old niece knows how. Um, <laughs> you know, even still, there are red flags for different types of IPs coming in. So um, fraud tools will uh, sniff those out and aggregate the data. And then if you combine that with some other triggers, you know, where stuff is shipping to based on, um, you know, where the account's located from, you might get some tips, but it, it varies, you know. And so every fraud group has different skills and different intelligence. And so you have to adapt based on each type. So the first thing you have to do is understand the groups that are attacking you and why they're there. So that's really what it comes down to. And then you can start to understand what their behaviors will be. And as, so as a company grows and starts selling into new markets across the globe, mm -hmm. the fraud, the fraudsters that then target them, I imagine become more sophisticated or just they become a bigger target. Is that, is that accurate? Yes and no. So what it comes down to is uh, a, you know, the, the fraudsters would have to know that uh, who's representing each merchant to understand where they can take the risk at. That's why when I mentioned earlier that uh, people in the risk industry tend to be pretty quiet and kept themselves, they go, they go pretty secret squirrel because they don't want to let other uh, tactics out of the bag and they don't want to, they want to know that they share it with somebody, somebody that's trustworthy and someone that's not going to just let it out there because 
like you said, we are trying to stay more than a step ahead of fraudsters. Because in my opinion, if you are fighting fraud by purely being reactionary, you're going to lose, you're going to lose big, and you're not going to be able to actually perform well. So you have to predict and understand uh, what next, I mean, think of it like a chess game. It's really what it comes down to. You know, you're playing chess and it's ongoing. And the sad part is you have much less visibility to your adversary than they do of you. So when you go into different geolocations, you have to understand what the local uh, criminal organizations are doing, as well as what your risk is to anyone who can uh, reach your website across the globe, because it's not just that localization. You know, everybody from if you're shopping in Brazil, but you've got fraudsters in Vietnam who are trying to steal your goods, if they spoof Brazil uh, IPs, but they have a local source in Brazil who will allow products to ship to them and they'll ship it out of country for you. Well, there you go. There's your lead. As fraudsters have become more sophisticated, so too has the technology to fight fraud. Can you talk a bit about what are some technology advances that you think are are really innovative that are coming out right now? Uh, A couple of the old standbys that you'll hear about are a device fingerprint, device ID. Really what that comes down to is some code on your front end of your website where you're trying to grab machine data and basically tie an order to something, you know, because you can't really tie it to a human being because you don't know who's behind that screen, right? So that, that's been a piece that's been around for a while, but fraudsters have found ways to get around it. Again, it goes back to different intelligence that fraud groups have. Uh, but what you have nowadays is everyone keeps using the AI word, you know, it's the artificial intelligence, which uh, sometimes is a hot button, you know, and uh, sales technique. But there are uh, groups out there that are making strides into getting their AI algorithms to spot fraud, um, as well as their traditional machine learning. You know, there's uh, several tools out there that specialize in that. But really what comes down to is a layered effect. I mean, if you were to go to your local police um, agency and talk about, hey, how do I stop a a burglar from, you know, breaking into my house. And the first thing they're going to say is deter them. Don't just put up a sign that says I have a security um, system. Don't put bushes next to your windows. Don't make places easy for people to hide right next to your house. So they can just sit there and, you know, get coming through a window or whatnot. Um, everything's a layered approach. Yes. You have your security system, but you have everything before and after that. The same thing with fraud tools. So you have everything from, your machine data gathering to third-party data validators, which help you validate data on the customer who's submitting the order, um, because that's not something that you inherently have. Right? And then, of course, you have your rules-based uh, setup for your fraud tool, along with your algorithms that will monitor those uh, rules and combine that with machine data and create scoring around that. And of course, you also have uh, what we would say, basically sh- anonymized shared data across merchants within that same system. So if uh, bad data, say emails or shipping addresses are found at, or spotted by another merchant and tagged, well, then that drives up your scoring model within your system. But there are some behavior analytics tools out there that have been around for about the last eight years, and they actually watch the interaction of the user across the whole entire web experience 
So A, the spot whether they're a botnet um, or a human, or if it's someone, a human who's basically coming out of a click farm. So someone who's basically got like 10, 20 devices in front of them and they're just clicking across screens as they're prompted. That way they don't get the botnet um, tag, but they can still act efficiently. So uh, that's what those are trying to spot for. But then you also have some tools out there that'll actually uh, monitor, sounds a little creepy, but they'll monitor exactly how you're interacting like with your mobile device. So at, as drastic as what's, what orientation do you have your phone in? Do you have it upside down at the moment? Cause you're laying on the, on the couch and you're, you know, you got the phone in the air reading or whatnot and how fast you're scrolling through web pages. Like there's a lot of tech out there that's Interesting. I make most of my online purchases from the couch. So (laughs) (laughs) I do too. I don't use a computer except for work most of the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, Another term that I've heard uh, you say is friendly fraud. Can you explain a bit what that is and how that differs from the type of fraud that we've been talking about? Sure. Friendly fraud is not friendly. Uh, They're almost worse because you don't know where you stand with them. At least with criminals, I know where I stand. There's a, I don't want to say a mutual respect, but (laughs) there's some some sort of, you know, uh, standardized behavior usually. Uh, Friendly fraud, uh, especially with e-commerce, because it's it's always been there. It's the valid customer who's willing to push their moral boundaries to justify taking advantage of that merchant. So everything from as simple as maybe trying to use two coupons in one order or trying to use an expired coupon, you know, cause maybe your system doesn't really block for it. Wrong. I test for those all the time when I'm shopping, you know, you have to decide where your moral high ground is. But the thing with that is, well, what's the next step? Well, you know, maybe uh, my product arrived late. So do I just, am I upset? Do I say that item didn't, show up, you know, you know, and then file a complaint saying the item wasn't received. Like there's a lot of steps like that. And during COVID, uh, there's been a huge rise in friendly fraud across pretty much every merchant I've spoken to. It's not to say that friendly fraud hasn't been on the rise for a decade plus. It has slowly and surely and everything uh, across the big merchants all the way down to small merchants. Seems like people think that every company that's on the internet makes a lot of revenue and can afford to lose uh, a bunch of products, you know, because the person justifies that, Hey, they're a big company. Um, What's one item, you know? And and so that's, that's where the moral moral high ground comes. And that's what justification comes into play. And so friendly fraud is really valid people falsifying claims. Makes sense. Yes. Yeah, it does. And I, you know, so if you're a, a brand who's looking to sell online, you would really need to have strategies to tackle both the friendly fraud as well as the more sophisticated fraud rings. Yes. Um, sorry, you probably heard a big sigh. <laughs> uh, the tough it's part a big is, job. I get it. <laughs> well, and this goes back to understanding human behavior. So when you understand when you try to understand exactly how criminal entities work and what they're trying to do you get what their game is. Their game is to get stuff for free so they can resell money. But you understand that they're not valid. They can't pose to be the valid person. The moment you have the true credit card holder or account holder, 
stating something um, didn't arrive or that they didn't place an order yet, you know that they did. And I'm like, for, without a doubt that they did. Cause I'm, I'm not saying that um, that never happens. It's ha I've missed a couple of packages off my doorstep this past year too, you know, and they just disappeared by the time I got home. But uh, the thing is, is that when you're trying to sit there and determine what a valid person's intentions in their mind are, yeah. You, you know, I, I'm like, if, if I'm talking to you and I'm like, well, Natalie, you just ordered, I don't know, uh, a new bike because bikes are hot items this year. You can't find one in the store. And you say it didn't arrive at your doorstep, yet UPS tells me it did. Who am I to believe? I've seen us make mistakes. And you don't want to go too hard against what may be a very legitimate claim or someone who made a mistake or, you know, who yeah. is trying to, it, that, that then gets into your, you know, overall sort of customer service and brand reputation. It does. And, and there's a whole host of reasons why people will do friendly fraud. Like uh, one example I had a couple of years ago was a, a lady who ordered a product that didn't have a warranty, did not come with a manufacturer's warranty because it was a performance product. So it was meant for high, high rate of use on racetracks. And so the manufacturer didn't cover it. And, you know, that's kind of, I mean, we're not the manufacturer. You know, so we can't warranty it ourselves. And she claimed that the product uh, wore out sooner than expected. And she filed a, when we couldn't, when we said we couldn't replace the product for her, she filed a dispute and we won that dispute. So, you know, and we're not, you know, we want to try to take care of our customers, but, all, but you also can't go into the red trying to back up every item that's out there. So what was weird was the following year, I get, another order from her, and then I get a did not receive uh, dispute from her. It was for the same products. And um, went all the way down to the path of calling up UPS and talking to the driver. And he's like, yeah, I remember dropping off those tires for the lady and rolling them into her garage and then her closing the garage behind me. And along with that, I also dropped off some uh, wheels from another company for her and put them in the garage and left. You know, and so for her, in my opinion, this was her getting back at me because, or my company, because she lost the previous year. You know, like, I mean, people, people hold grudges. People have all kinds of reasoning behind what they do. And it's really tough when all the data ties back to them and to their accounts, because then how do you really prove it? It's fascinating. I really do think that this topic <laughs> is, is very interesting and I could, I could talk to you about it. All day, but um, I, you know, I, I, no, I you ha I'm we have boring. to get you back. We have to get you back to fighting those fraudsters. I know I can't take up too much of your time. Uh, we like to end our podcast by asking a couple of questions about who influences you and some shopping experiences that you've had. But since you know we're talking about fraud today, I'm going to put a little bit different spin on it. Um, for listeners who are looking for more resources on understanding fraud or fraud mitigation, where would you point them? Uh, for understanding fraud, fraud mitigation, um, first you want to go to a trusted resource. So if you're not part of MRC, I definitely highly recommend it. Um, it's not free. You know, there is a little bit of a cost, but it's more than justifiable. And um, you not only get to take part um, in the shared information online, but uh, again, the conferences that they have and 
just a network that you can build. Um, it's wonderful. And what you'll be able to do there is pick up a lot of basics and, uh, and think into the weeds of all the concepts that are out there. So that would be the first place I'd go. Um, there are a lot of conferences, a lot of orgs out there, but they're not all equal. So payment set is definitely a wonderful one too. So I would say out of, in my mind, those are the top two to start with. Uh, as well as, I mean, when you look at it, Digital River handles numerous clients and they've been specializing in fraud mitigation and payment services for numerous clients for probably as long as I've been in this industry, if not longer. So definitely uh, that's a great place to look at as a expert in this field because they've seen fraud from a lot of different aspects, from a lot of different verticals. So definitely everything from digital to physical goods. So that's definitely a, a great expert to try to ask questions from too. I love it. I didn't, I didn't even have to pay you to plug digital river but we'll take it and we'll leave it at that jason thank you so much for joining me on commerce connect today sure definitely glad to be here have a good day you've been listening to commerce connect brought to you by digital river and edited at matriarch digital media in minneapolis minnesota to learn more head to digitalriver.com